From Finance and Commerce, this is Beyond the Skyline, a podcast about economic development, commercial real estate, and construction in Minnesota. Above all, it's a show about what's next, creativity, and the innovation and technology that are changing how we work and shaping the future of business throughout our state. In each episode, you will meet business leaders, builders, entrepreneurs, and big thinkers who may challenge the status quo, but also make their dreams a reality. I'm Joel Shetler, your host and editor of Finance and Commerce, Minnesota's oldest business newspaper and online publication. Thanks so much for joining me. I would also like to thank our podcast sponsor, Guarantee Commercial Title. Guarantee offers a new platform for the delivery of services based on the expertise and ingenuity of a visionary team of title professionals that identifies obstacles and creates solutions that result in a successful sale, construction, or financing of commercial real estate. To learn more, visit GuaranteeTitle.net. Alan Arthur, a longtime developer and advocate for affordable housing in the Twin Cities, is moving on after more than three decades as CEO of Minneapolis-based Aon, a prolific provider of homes for low and moderate income households. Aon recently announced that Arthur is, quote, transitioning out of his role, end quote, with the company. He's expected to stay on the job through the end of the year as he assists with the search for a successor, among other duties. Arthur became president and CEO of Aon in 1988, two years after the company's founding. In recent years, Aon has obtained $100 million in funding to create and save more than 3,000 affordable homes. A national expert on affordable housing, finance, and development, Arthur has won numerous industry awards and honors. In 2019, the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business inducted him into the Minnesota Real Estate Hall of Fame. In the following interview, Arthur speaks with reporter Brian Johnson about his career journey, how he got into affordable housing development, and more. He also shares some thoughts on the state of affordable housing from the 1980s to today. I'm pleased to be joined by Alan Arthur, president and CEO of Aon, a nonprofit developer, owner, and manager of affordable housing in Twin Cities. Uh, Alan recently announced that he's transitioning out of his role after more than three decades as the organization's leader. Um, And just by way of background, uh, reading from your bio here a little bit, um, Aon has successfully brought $100 million in new and innovative funding to create and save more than 3,000 affordable homes just in recent years. And today the organization serves 15,000 people each year at more than 5,600 Aon apartment homes. Um, and uh, just going back under, under his leadership, Aon opened its the first housing in the country available for youth who are experiencing homelessness, developed the first multifamily affordable lead platinum certified property in the upper Midwest and oversaw eight historic preservation projects that are now on the National Register of Historic Places. Um, we, we won't talk about all the awards you won and so on. That could take up the whole the whole 30 minutes, <laughs> but um, it's uh, quite an impressive resume. And um, so how, how are you feeling now? Let's talk about the transition process, first of all. Um, how, um, how, how will that play out? And are you going to stay on for a while and um, in an advisory role or how does that work? 
Yeah, good question. Um, I'm doing well. You know, the hard part was to make the decision. Once the, once I made the decision, once I, uh, you know, really thought about what is the right time to pass the baton for a CEO. And, uh, you know, we're in solid operational shape. We've got great leadership up and down the organization and we're getting ready to launch really ambitious plans. I thought this seemed like a really good time to pass the baton. I'm not retiring, uh, but it's just time to move on. And I'm going to stick around to help through the transition with the new, new uh, CEO. Uh, the board is doing a national search, has hired a search firm to help with that. And um, I'll help you know, in whatever way uh, the new CEO and the organization would like me to uh, for the foreseeable future. I will be technically uh, an advisor for a period of time, uh, but not, you know, not sure exactly what that role will be until the new CEO comes on. Okay. Well, I was going to save this question for later, but since you brought it up, you said you're not retiring. So what, what are your plans? What's next? No, I don't have plans. Uh, my uh, granddaughter pointed me out uh, to a Winnie the Pooh quote, um, which, uh, let's see, let me, let me find it here. I want to make sure I quote it properly. Um, anyway, it, it goes something like this. Um, I, I figure out where I'm going to go by leaving where I have been. And so uh, that's what I'm doing. And, and uh, I'm looking forward to whatever, whatever comes next. And I'm open to a lot of options as long as they're going to make a difference in our community in some way. Well, I have a feeling you'll continue to make a difference and you won't just be playing golf or hanging out at the beach. And so uh, um, look forward to hearing what, what's next. Yeah, I, I play golf religiously though, Brian, once a year, <laughs> once a year and pray I don't kill anybody. <laughs> It sounds about like me, although I haven't even played that often. Uh, so um, I, I gave up on that sport a long time ago. Um, can you uh, just to, to, to back up a little bit, um, can you talk Alan, a little bit about how you got into this line of work and, and kind of yeah. what sparked your interest in uh, affordable housing? Yeah, good question. You know, some people uh, plan their lives when they're in junior high, I think. And uh, uh, they work hard to get what they're looking for. You know, I was a typical young man in the Midwest. I wanted to be a professional baseball player, of course, and, you know, that kind of thing. So I, I never really had a specific, uh, my, my family wanted me to be an attorney. I realized really early in college, that's not what I wanted to do. And, um, but I did start working in the construction industry and I worked my way through college as a carpenter. So that's how I started in this arena in general. And uh, for a period of time, I and my buddy Fred owned a single family home construction business. We'd build, we'd build one or two houses at a time, small little company. Sometimes we'd build a small multifamily property or work on some commercial, but primarily one or two single family homes. And they were affordable homes uh, in rural Iowa, which is where I grew up. And um, we did that for a while. And then through a strange set of circumstances, I became the director of a building zoning and planning department in my hometown in southeastern Iowa. And did that for about four years. And my wife and I decided we wanted to move to the Twin Cities. And, and up here, I did a variety of things, including some theater. I started a community theater in my hometown and, and did some theater. But I also um, try, tried to sell real estate when interest rates were 17% in the mid 80s. Mm. And I worked for a nonprofit uh, making home improvement loans to poor families in South Minneapolis. Mm. And that was a great uh, experience and great job to help people you know, fix their roof or replace their boiler when it was needed and, and make really uh, affordable loans to them or in grants sometimes um, and make sure that they got good service from contractors in the community. So I did that for about four years and I 
And then I came to Aon when it was really, really small. So, and I've been able to grow with the organization. So it's been a, uh, you know, it's a, been a great journey. I'm very fortunate. And I've been in that arena. I'm a jack of all trades, a master of nothing. I've been in that arena since I was 19. So a long, long time. Yeah, great. And we, we talked about uh, just kind of a, a, from a very high level, some of the things that Aon has done uh, under your watch. Uh, what, are there any specific projects that sort of um, stand out uh, and, and memorable projects? Well, <laughs> staff asked me the other day to write down the stories I have for all of our projects because there is a story, sometimes several stories about, about some of them. Uh, including, you know, having my life threatened when we're doing homeless housing in certain communities. Uh, mm. uh, but I think the thing that stands out and the thing I'm most proud of actually is a little more mundane. It's helping our board of directors establish really solid organizational governance and be disciplined and thorough uh, in governing the organization because that's really the foundation of a good organization. And it has been for us uh, since 1993 when the board of directors and I worked together hard to to uh, adopt the system of governance that would make sense long-term. Okay, you mentioned having your life threatened. I can't just let that one slide by. Can you yeah. expand on that? Yeah, well, sometimes people get pretty upset when you're trying to do something they think is negative for their community. And, and getting upset is actually a good sign fundamentally. It means they care about their neighborhood. They care about their community. And that's kind of the approach we've always taken. And so, in, in, and so people say things sometimes that, they don't really mean. Of course, you have to assess whether or not they really mean it or not. But our modus operandi has been to, uh, when that kind of um, uh, vitriol or uh, excitement happens, uh, to call up the next day and ask ask people out to coffee and talk about it. Yeah. And that generally has worked pretty good to establish relationships with people, and then do what you say you're going to do. And um, if you mess up somehow, admit it and fix it. Uh, I think that's been a pretty good uh, policy for us uh, in my 33 years here. Yeah. Well, what would you say, what has been the biggest change from when you started 33 years ago to now? Thirty-three, Yeah, 33 years ago, there were only four or five organizations doing affordable housing in the state of Minnesota. Now there are probably 35 or 40, maybe more. And so the competition for the resources to do affordable housing is way, way, uh, uh, greater than it was back um, 33 years ago. Mm. Many, many more for-profits have jumped into the fray uh, and jumped into the uh, affordability arena. Yeah, you mentioned the double-digit interest rate environment too from, from back when. Right, yeah. Yeah, certainly that's a big change. Uh, <laughs> I remember clearly that when people said interest rates will never ever fall below 10% again. Well, they've been below 10% now for quite a long time. Uh, I keep waiting them for waiting for them to go back up to 10%, but uh, it may not happen in my lifetime now because they've been low for a long, long time. Yeah. Well, it, even so we have, I mean, it's no secret out there. There is an affordable housing crisis. I hear people call it a crisis all the time. Um, simply yeah. put, there aren't enough homes out there, especially not enough affordable homes. And uh, just, just to throw out a, a stat here from the, uh, we recently wrote about a, a report from the Minnesota Housing Partnership that talked about the need for uh, 105,000 additional housing units are needed for renters at or below 30% of area median income. 
And um, just between 2000 and 2019, according to this report, the median gross rent for housing statewide increased by 14%, while the median renter income decreased by 1%. I'm sure I could go on and on with another other statistics and you could probably rattle them off on the top off the top of your head, but uh, what do you make of that? What are the most effective tools out there to put a dent into those numbers? Yeah. So first of all, um, <laughs> the one of the largest negative impacts in, in contributors to homelessness has been the backing away of the federal government from the Section 8 program. The Section 8 program serves a wide range of, uh, of incomes, including folks with the very, very lowest incomes. And yet the, the government, federal government, the administration under Reagan started killing Section 8 back in the 1980s. And no administration, frankly, has really added significantly to Section 8 since then. So we're now playing, playing, trying to provide affordable housing with the same level of, of, of Section 8 vouchers, the most valuable and impactful program for affordable housing, with the same amount of, 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 uh, of subsidy, housing rent subsidies that we had in 1985. And we've grown from a country of 240 million people to a country of 325 million people. So if you wanna know the most direct uh, impact, it's that. The second most direct impact is the fact that we're not paying people enough to live. Um, I, I, I laugh ruefully about the fact that now folks are saying maybe we should raise, finally raise uh, minimum wage to $15 an hour. Well, that's a 10 year, eight to 10 year effort. Now the number is 20, $22 per hour. It's, it's no longer $15 an hour. It's really pathetic. The 17 last numbers I saw from Deed showed that 17% of wage earners in the state of Minnesota make minimum wage, not $15 an hour, minimum wage. And 36 or 37% make less than $15 an hour. And half the jobs we create annually pay income, pay, pay uh, compensation that would qualify the households for affordable housing. So really it's an economic problem fundamentally. And we either have to create, put the capital out to, pay, to create more affordable housing or pay people more money to live, mm -hmm. uh, one of the two or some combination of both, but unless we want homelessness to double or triple even. So that's where we're headed. Yeah, and the CEO of Amazon can only buy so many homes himself, right? But if That's he starts right. paying his employees more of a living wage, we're talking about a lot of people and a lot of homes that are suddenly yeah. affordable to people. Yeah, yeah, and the cra crazy thing about it from an economic standpoint, and I'm not an economics expert, of course, but um, every dime we pay minimum wage or low wage earner, uh, earners, they will spend in the economy. It will boost the economy. And so the reason our economy is strong right now is we're paying them to be unemployed and the economy is hanging in there because they have money to spend. Um, if we insist they go back to work for, for $200 less than they're making on unemployment, we are going to actually hurt the economy. So we've got some things to figure out and we better figure them out soon. Yeah, I think student loan debt relief is another thing that people are talking about out there. Uh, sure. my, my oldest daughter happens to be um, well, she's a biology major. I was a journalism major, so she, she's a lot smarter than I am, right? <laughs> but she got she was fortunate enough to get enough 
scholarships and grants and so on, she'll, she'll be okay. But other people are graduating with lots and lots of student loan debt. That's no secret. This money could go towards instead of paying the bank for that student loan, how about putting it towards a mortgage or a down payment on a home? Right, I think right. that's a big issue out there too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. We, we basically just have to get the economy to a place that it's equitable, reasonably equitable. It doesn't have to be perfectly fair or perfect. It's just got to be reasonably equitable, equitable. And we've gone a long ways from that. When the top 16 richest people in the country own 60% of the um, assets of the country, private assets of the country, there's something wrong. Yeah, absolutely. It's 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 a big problem, and uh, we'll see what happens there. But um, so, just uh, to go back a little bit on some of the projects you've worked on, um, you know, is there any is there ever been a project that was particularly challenging that you thought, wow, I'm not going to get this done, but then somehow you made it work. You pulled it uh, pulled it off uh anything that comes to mind well east village was the first major mixed income mixed use project of its kind in the twin cities and we did it. a little nonprofit did east village and uh we got really close to having all of our money together when interest rates started to climb and and construction pricing started to climb at the same time so we, we were within about a million dollars of, of of making it let me i'm trying to think about how how many millions of dollars that was. It was in the 20 millions of dollars, $25 million project. We were within a million dollars of having the resources to, to get it going. But we once solved that million dollar problem, we were another million dollar behind. It'd take us three or four months to figure out how to get another million dollars. By that time, construction prices had raised even more and interest rates had raised, lowering our mortgage, uh, available mortgage. And therefore we were another million dollars behind. That happened three times over the course of about nine or 12 months. Yeah. So um, it was in doubt. Um, so ultimately, uh, we met with all the funders, lenders, um, private, government, et cetera, and got them all in a room. And we asked a simple question. You must like this project. You've already committed your money to it. Is that correct? Yes. Well, it'll never be cheaper than it is today. So if you all, if you can all work together to figure out how we make up that million dollars in the next couple of weeks, we can close this thing and provide home for 180 people. And uh, they did, uh, to their credit, they did figure that out. And um, and we, you know, we were extremely pleased and grateful for the fact that they did. And so our 180 residents of our community. So that's great. Uh, and what what are some of your current projects that you're working on? Uh, anything you want to mention? Yeah, we're, we're uh, just started construction not too long ago on uh, 70 units in Edina. We're working with Edina. It's been a great relationship with the city of Edina, of Edina uh, both uh, their, their city council and their staff, as well as private citizens who really supported this uh, in that project. We're also um, almost finished with the construction, finishing up on construction on 172 apartments in Bloomington. We purchased a NOAA property, a 306-unit NOAA property in Bloomington, one block from all of America, and it had 13 and a half acres. And we thought we can put some more units on that site. And so we um, are doing a 4% tax credit deal, and those will start. Those units will start um, uh, opening up for people to live in sometime in the, the fall, and uh, half of them will open up in the early early to mid fall, and the rest of them a couple months or so later. 
and that we're working on that. And, and uh, you may have seen that we're working on um, a project in, in uh, collaboration with St. Olaf Catholic Church in downtown Minneapolis. And that's gonna be a several hundred apartment uh, property, uh, three different buildings on one site, uh, two different, really two different sites around the church. And uh, also help the church with their with their um, the plaza and uh, their layout and and uh, what they're doing. It'll, it'll improve, I think, the use of the church as well and parking. So um, we're very very excited about that. Now I may not be around for the finish of it, but I'm certainly here still for the start of it, and we're working hard to make that happen. Okay, and I think I mentioned in the press release announcing your transition that you will be. Uh, remaining through the end of the year um, yeah i think that's the logical time sometime in later year usually a, a executive search is you know two to six months and so yeah. um, i'm going to be hanging around for a little while here mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay well do you have any other plans i see you've got your twins hat on you get, have you made it to any games this year or anything I, I have made it to a couple games i'm actually going to the twins game tonight so looking forward to the 95 degree heat and we're in the shade tonight so that's, that'll be good <laughs> well i hope they can beat the yankees for a change and uh <laughs> they've been pathetic they've been pathetic brian well and uh i'm gonna head out to the saints game with my son on friday we'll see if Bucks is still rehabbing with the team then but that'll yeah. be a lot of fun he's uh he's playing baseball he's in little league this year and uh pretty good little contact hitter so yeah very good we're having fun with that yeah well, Alan, uh, any other any other thoughts before I let you go? Um, you've certainly done great work over the years, and uh, it's been it's been uh, a pleasure just talking to you on the phone uh, about your projects and things like that. Um, thanks, thanks, Brian. You know, uh, I think there is one thing that I always want to mention, and it never gets into articles hardly because it doesn't seem sexy and it's not about me. But leadership isn't about the person at the top only. You know. I happen to be the chief lift flapper and handshaker, and I have some skills on, on that front. But we've had such tremendous other leaders in the organization, which is why we've been so successful, ranging from Cecile Bedore in our early years, who was the longest tenured PED director in St. Paul ever, uh, Barbara Alavado, who's considered the mother of affordable housing in the state of Minnesota, was one of our first board members. Gina Saganic, who now leads a national organization um, working on uh, healthy materials and affordable housing. Uh, and and those, the leaders we have now, Santiago de Angulo, who runs our property operations, and Sarah Harris, who's been a leader in the community for many, many years. She's on our strategy, partnership, and production side. So we've, I've been blessed. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure I have brought some things to the table, of course, but I have been blessed to be surrounded by really smart, talented, other staff leadership and board members in the uh, I just really always emphasize that. Well, great. Well, well, thanks again for, for joining me on the podcast and good luck with the talent search. Um, good luck with the transition process and um, best wishes in your thanks. next endeavors. Maybe I'll do something crazy and we'll talk again, Brian. Sounds good. <laughs> Take care, Alan. Thank you for listening and please subscribe to Beyond the Skyline. We can be found wherever you listen to your podcasts. To learn more about finance and commerce or to subscribe, go to our website, www.finance-commerce.com. I'm Joel Shetler, Editor of Finance and Commerce. Thank you again for listening to Beyond the Skyline.